do you want to stop growing? Would you just want to do design? I'm like, no, I can't because I just, I, I need to have my hands on. Yeah, it's your credibility. It's that different connection to yeah. it. Too. But I think I'm now just also addicted to the convenience of it. And it's part of my process. Like if I know I have this arrangement that I'm going to be doing, that week I'm walking around, I'm looking at things, I'm getting excited, especially if I don't have any specific direction, if it's really just up to me then I can walk around and create in my mind before right. I actually do it. Right. So I would miss out on that if yeah. I didn't have the farm. Yeah. <laughs> Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinsing. This is episode 609. This is the weekly podcast about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This show is brought to you by SlowFlowers.com, the free online directory to more than 850 florists, shops, and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Farm Girl Flowers. Farm Girl Flowers delivers iconic burlap wrap bouquets and lush, abundant arrangements to customers across the U.S. supporting U.S. flower farms by purchasing more than $10 million of U.S. grown fresh and seasonal flowers and foliage annually. Discover more at farmgrowflowers.com. Thanks to Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry with the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds supplied to farms, large and small, and even to backyard cutting gardens like mine. Find the full catalog of flower seeds and bulbs at johnnysseeds.com. Well, last month, you met Jesse Witcher of Understory Farm as we discussed how she and her partner, Gregory Witcher, grow masses of cut flowers to sell through wholesale channels. I met Jesse when we both participated in the Spring Educational and Workshop Series presented by Green Mountain Floral Supply in Burlington, Vermont. I called that March event a Slow Flowers Love Fest because it brought me together with Tom and Kim Jennings, owners of Green Mountain, Jason Munn, seminar coordinator, and Holly Chapel, who taught floral design and business workshops for three days, and two local Slow Flowers members, Jesse, who we met a few weeks ago, and today's guest, Abby Matson of Diddle and Zen. So today I'm going to share the conversation I recorded with Abby while I was in Burlington. I'm so happy to introduce you to her and share her story. Abby and her husband, Derek Matson own a beautiful flower farm in Panton, Vermont, not too far outside of Burlington. As she writes on their website, we have a passion for the beauty of Vermont and its community. We are committed to sustainable practices and supporting small and local businesses. We create naturally inspired floral designs that are influenced by traditional elegance. Our floral design services are available for events other than weddings, too. To be honest, Abby's story is one of serendipity and spontaneity. She and Derek made a radical change in their lives, buying a picturesque farm in Vermont and moving there from Colorado just prior to the arrival of the COVID-19 pandemic. You'll love hearing how they have shaped a flower-filled life for themselves, themselves and their beloved Weimaraners, Gunny and Ghost. Let's jump right in and meet 
Abby Matson. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Soul Flowers Show. And I'm Deborah Prinzing, and I'm here in Burlington, Vermont. And I have a special guest, Abby Matson from Diddle and Zen. Hi, Abby. Hello. Thanks for joining me. Yes, it's so fun to be here. It's great. I'm excited. It's great to be face to face instead yes. of over Zoom. Yeah. Um, we both participated yesterday in kind of an uh, educational workshop at Green Mountain Floral Supply here in Burlington. And um, kudos uh, to Tom Jennings for putting together yes. this Farmer Florist Day. Yeah, yeah. And you presented exactly. about your farm, and it was it was really great to have uh, florists and flower farmers mm-hmm. in the audience kind of hear your path and your journey, because you're a yeah. farmer florist, yes. I would say, right? Yes, yeah. Great. Yeah. So describe Diddle and Zen, where you're located, um, you know, what your market is in, in the big scheme of things here yeah. in this region. Yeah, so we are located in Panton, Vermont, which is, it's about 30 miles south of here where we are now in Burlington. Um, it's just outside of Virgins, which is a town that more people know. It's um, the town pan itself. is like a lot of places in Vermont that are just really a name and a town building, and that's it. So that's where we are. We're that's in the great. Champlain Valley, not far from uh, the lake. So we have a lot of lake homes uh, in our area, and then we also have a lot of agriculture in our area still, a lot of dairy and, and that kind of operation. So it's a cool mix of different people, seasonal and, you know, full-time farmers. Because this is a destination tourism area yes. as well, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely um, where we are, it is for sure. What is the, what are the other farmers doing? Are they doing other types of Mostly dairy. Okay. Yeah, and then everything surrounding that is all just, you know, grown for feed and hay for the dairy operation. So we have a big dairy near us. Well, your farm, you showed a photo, an aerial photo of it, and I was like immediately fell in love. Yeah. I mean, it, it's so picturesque. It really is. Is yeah. that what sold you on it? Yes. It's kind of funny. When we were looking to move and start a farm, we were looking all in different areas of New England, and Vermont was actually the last state that kind of entered our search. And at the time, my husband traveled a lot for work, so everything had to be within like a 40-minute radius of an airport. So that's how our searches were working. And we were actually searching around the Albany airport when a property popped up in Bennington, Vermont. And then I was like, what? Does, does Vermont have an airport? Like, I didn't even know. So I quickly did a little search and said, oh, it's in Burlington. And then did a radio search of on Realtor.com, I think. And that our house was like one of the first ones that popped up in the search. And it was the first house that really checked all the boxes. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to have to renovate a house. So we wanted it to be in good condition, even if it wasn't cosmetically what we wanted. We wanted, you know, about 30 acres, not really more than that. And uh, we wanted outbuildings possibly, you know, so that we'd have some infrastructure. And it had all of that. And it was priced amazingly. I seriously thought it was too good to be true. But this was in 2019, right before things got crazy. Because, like, the real estate market's changed a lot since we've been here. Well, so, you, to, to, let's give the backstory. You were a real estate agent. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in Colorado. You have, you have a skill set. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So you were in Colorado, which, which mm-hmm. it, I would say, if you ask anyone who farmed in Colorado, hey, how'd you like to move mm-hmm. to Vermont? Most people would say, oh no, it's too different. But yeah. you weren't farming in, in Colorado, no, right? No, no. So we lived in Denver and I was selling real estate and my husband is in the same industry now. He's in sales in like multifamily, uh-huh. which is another industry that I worked in before real estate. So yeah, everything was, you know, housing real estate related before. Okay. And okay. I did that for I was selling real estate for about five years and before that multifamily for seven. Wow. So definitely a different world. Well, you said that you um had you had a, a couple things come together for you, one of which, of course, was taking the Florette workshop. But yeah. what 
what what other than that made you want to to be a flower? Was it flower farming or just farming in general? It wasn't even specifically farming. I just knew I wanted to do something different. And and we always had this plan eventually of moving to land. We both grew up in rural areas. And so we we wanted, that was kind of like the retirement plan. And we didn't really know what we would do because we're like, well, we're not really like into animal husbandry, but mm-hmm. farming, but we didn't know what we would farm if we farmed. But I like being physical and I like that kind of work where you see the results at the end of the day and not necessarily having to be in front of a computer all the time. So it, the flower thing was very sort of serendipitous. Okay. I had, just were open to ideas. Yeah. I had started really enjoying arranging flowers and keeping fresh flowers in the home. And so I would always buy them at Trader Joe's and we, we had a really close friend who was the same way. She lives in Atlanta and, um, she had just told me about the Florette book and it was actually, she recommended it because we we're talking about lilacs and how do we make them last longer? And she's like, you'll love this book. It has really great tips on how to like process them. Uh-huh. And so I pick up the book and then I'm sitting there going, Oh my God, this is brilliant. Like the, you know, the mini farming. And mm-hmm. so it just, and you do call yourself a micro farm, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. When I compare myself to Jesse, it's like, Oh my God, I'm, a, I'm like barely a farm. <laughs> A lot of other farms, you know, that are so big, but. Well, it showed you a path that you, you, most people just daydream about, Mm -hmm. but Abby, what is it in your personality that made you actually go for it and do the hard thing, you know, just move your family across the country? Well, I'm lucky that my husband encouraged me. So this, this book, I think came into my world in like maybe October that year. And I, I mentioned it to him. I was like, this is just so cool. Like maybe whatever. I knew I was kind of done with real estate. Mm-hmm. I was very burned out by it and um, just kind of searching. And so the, I had gone on and see the Florette workshop. And I think it's still this way. You have to enroll by a certain time frame, right. and then it's once a year. So right. that was coming up that time frame. And he was like, well, how much is it? And you know, it's not inexpensive. Right. It's, a, it's a commitment. And, but he was like, just do it. Just sign up now because if you, you otherwise you have to wait a year. So I'm like, okay. So he encouraged that. And then once I started doing, I don't, I guess I just have this personality that's like, I can figure things out. Yeah. I know that if I can get the right tools and resources, I have the work ethic. And so let's that's, just see where this goes. That comes across. You're yeah. not, you're not uh, apprehensive because women, smart women figure things out. Yeah, exactly. And I've done a lot of different careers, even like in college, I worked, I worked in makeup, cosmetics, I used to work for Estee Lauder. So like I have all these weird skills um, and so I've always just kind of like been able to get into something and kind of learn quickly and figure it out. So yeah, so he encouraged me, took the class and then that's whenever our timeline just started speeding up and we were Wait. looking in Colorado originally. That was in 2019. This would have been in 18 that I signed up for the course. I guess I would have started it in like January of 19. And by the end of that year, you were in Vermont. Yeah. By that uh, April. So we we looked at our house. We looked at our house in February, the one we ended up buying. And then we did a, we closed in April, partially because we still had to sell our house and the sellers had been there for 20 years. So they needed time and it worked out, you know, it was winter. So yeah, I mean, we, we did everything within like six months, the class, everything. I started just doing everything Aaron said, (laughs) get this from Johnny's and get this. So I don't think, yeah, I don't think that you're alone in that. Um, Tell me about you. I cut you off. You said you had started looking in Denver, but yeah, we, we were open to staying in Colorado, but it was just, it's really hard there to find the right kind of agriculture and at the right price too, because that market's been crazy for a long time. Yeah. And I grew up in Eastern Colorado and I hate the the landscape out there. It's flat, it's dry, it's windy, it's hail, it's tornadoes. And I'm just like, I don't want to deal with that. I'll take snow instead. Yeah. (laughs) 
And so, you know, if you start to go into the foothills, that's a whole different kind of yeah. climate. And so, oh yeah, I, and I, there are flower farmers there. Yeah, oh yeah, and they do amazingly yeah. well. So it just we, we just weren't finding the right property basically. Wow. So we continued to kind of expand. And I had lived in New York after college and had spent a little bit of time in New England. And I just remembered how beautiful the farms were, yeah. and I loved the old farmhouses. Yeah. So I sort of secretly started looking, and then eventually opened it up to my husband. And at first, he was like, I, "He said what you said. It's just too different. Like yeah. I just." don't really know uh but then the more he started seeing the different properties the more he was open to it and then we were pretty much sold on finding we should say his name Derek Derek okay um well good good on Derek um he he knew that uh he knew that it was he must had a gut feeling as well Yeah. yeah uh well you had spoke yesterday Abby in your presentation you um have 28 acres but one acre in production yeah and so you're you're being you're not biting off more than you could chew. You're doing right. this in a, in a sort of sustainable, organic mm-hmm. way. No yeah. pun intended. Like, yeah. Uh, how did you get started when you first you came in this early spring? Were you yes. growing that year? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So wow. I ordered plugs that first year, and they were already ordered before we closed on the house because that's, that's the timing you have to have. And I was desperate to really have flowers that first year, so I had ordered the landscape fabric, the irrigation, all the things. Had that piece all, and so I based everything off of like the first field was forty about forty five feet wide by a hundred. Okay. All my all my rows are about hundred feet long. So I kind of went through and said, all right, these are the plugs I can order. This would make a bouquet. That's kind of how I did it, like snapdragon, like a recipe, the mix, yeah, that I thought I could at least be able to make something. So started with that, and then once we we got out here, I think I planted everything like right around the end of April, first of May. Wow. We had to go buy a tiller and all this stuff, you know, and like start. <laughs> and my husband was so nice to get out there with me. I mean, we worked so hard that first year. But you're entirely self-taught. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. not like you've gardened before, yeah. did you? No. Oh my God. I mean, we had a backyard, you know, I'd plant things here and there, but sure. I wasn't like a green thumb by any means. Literally when the plugs arrived, I remember standing in my little hobby greenhouse looking at them going, I hope you don't die. And then you put them in the ground outside, and then I was like, I hope this is okay. Like, they just seem so little. You know, everything was a miracle to me every moment. Well, you showed some images on your slide presentation yesterday that made me want to follow up and ask um, about, like, what is the soil type, and was was it easy to work with, or did you have a lot of amending to do? We have what's called Addison County Clay. It is not nice. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. It's very heavy. Oh dear. And in, and the native grass here has roots that just you just keep pulling and pulling and pulling. So that's that's kind of frustrating and we don't we still deal with that a lot. But so we amend a lot each year. Okay. We put a fresh layer of compost down, you know, before each planting. Um, and we, we don't, we till a tiny bit, but not a lot. It's really more so just to kind of turn in our cover crop. So it's a very light, right, right. just kind of to loosen the top of the soil. Um, did you have we to, do have raised beds too. Okay. And did you have to remove pasture or like, what had this farm been doing? It's basically just grass kind okay. of around the, the flat part of the farm. Mm-hmm. And so they were keeping it mowed, but that was it. So there, it was a dairy, but that was over 20 years okay. ago. So there hasn't been any farming or anything. Well, you happening. told a cute story about you put the landscape cloth down and it really didn't have time to like suppress all the grass. Yeah, yeah. And so every hole you were like hand weeding yeah. as the grass. Around every plug that year. Yeah. I spent a lot of time down there with them. Did that all effectively suppress the, the grass and kill it that year? It did. Yeah. It definitely helped. And then that fall we planted that entire field over with perennials. And then the next year we had a new 
whole new field. But for that one, we were able, because we had time on our side, we were able to use a silage tarp okay. that we put down in the winter. Sure. And then, you know, that really kills off all the grass and everything. And it also helps keep it a little more dry in the spring as the snow melts. Mm-hmm. And then, so we had a much better start. Got it. But that initial field that we broke, we used this um, groundbreaker tool. And it was just like digging deep down. And I, I mean, I spent, and then we tried to rake the grass after it died before I put the fabric down. I actually got, and I still have it, um, it's really bad in my right hand, um, like a compression neuropathy from just the repetitive. Oh. And it was really bad that first year because of the way I was raking. Oh my gosh. It was like throbbing up into my elbow. And so and I have to sleep with a brace at night. Uh, I'm a young person. I can't afford to trash my yeah. wrist this early. I mean, I've like, never had these kind of like physical ailments. And so it was kind of eye-opening. Oh my gosh. So I have to be very thoughtful about how I so you're use certain tools bit, and yeah, are you a little more yeah. careful now, or mm-hmm. and yeah. I, can you live with it? Yeah, it's definitely much more manageable. And now that I know what it is, and it really, I just sleep with this a brace at night that helps relieve that nerve. Oh, and that helps a ton. That's one. That's all it is. Oh my yeah. gosh! Yeah. So you had a recipe in mind of flowers you wanted to um, grow. You've ultimately now added perennials as mm-hmm. well. What is your? How would you describe your crop mix? Is it very? very design driven like you're not growing just commodity varieties mm-hmm. you're very much choosing for that aesthetic that you want in your arrangements yeah I think it's a little bit of both mm-hmm. I design driven pieces the wedding side so when I'm when I'm lucky enough to book the weddings far enough in advance that I can plan so last year I had a ton of green and white weddings early in June so I had lots of just white flowers everywhere um, so you, the, the weddings were booked before you chose what yes. to grow. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, so we grew a lot of white, white snapdragons or Leia, all those early cool season that were in a white shade. Um, but then the rest of it, whenever I'm thinking more of the annuals, I am thinking more about how I like my market bouquets and that kind of stuff to look. And also what my customers like in the farm stand. Because there are some things that I love and they just don't, they don't really care. Like scabiosa. You know, because in the farm stand, we have a flower bar, and I can't believe they don't sell because to me, it's one of the coolest, oh, most unique flowers, and they just sort of are like, meh, but they love zinnias and the things that you think, oh, they could grow this in their yard, yes. and they're not going to care, so it's wow. kind of funny. Yeah. The farm stand, I, I you showed a photo of it, and I hope you'll share yeah. one that I can yeah, put in, the, in our show notes. It's a cute little cottage, mm-hmm. and is it like up by the road or how do people get there? Yeah, it's it, our property has a lot of frontage on the main road where you turn in. And so there's actually a lot in between where our house is that's, that was just open field. And it had a little bit of a turn into from the road with like the culvert already there. So it sits there and then there's a cedar hedge and then there's our house and then the rest of the property. So, so it worked out perfectly. Yeah. yeah, it was nice and flat right there. We had enough room for the setback required. We put a little parking lot in. So it just sits there all by itself. It's super cute. And then people aren't coming up to your front door and knocking yeah. to say hi in here. Yeah, still sometimes that happens, but most of the time they know where the farm stand is. But it's it's just um, self-service then. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How big is it? Um, it's a little prefab shed that I want to say it's like 12 by, it might be 14 by like nine. Okay. Feels bigger than it sounds, yeah. but yeah. Wow. That's a decent one. And does this, is the diddle and Zen name, um, up front or what, it, how do you advertise uh, it? I have a little sandwich board, okay. but it actually is getting replaced this year because it's seen better days. <laughs> uh, and my husband, that's actually one thing he keeps bugging me about. He's like, we really need a nice sign out there that's out there all the time. So people know it's diddle and Zen. We have little flags that we put outside. One says flowers, one says gifts on uh-huh. it. So uh-huh. they kind of know when it's open, but. 
And what is, when is it open? How do you operate it? So it's normally um, tulips when they start. So April, mid-April until like October, as long as we still have stuff. And then it'll close for a little while. And then around the holidays, if it's warm enough, I'll put out the holiday bulbs and that kind of stuff. Oh, you said you do, you do holiday yeah. bulbs and wreaths. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's so, so great. And um, then this Valentine's Day, we had it open because I did the forced tulips. So, wow. so it's a little bit erratic, but when it's open... During the main season, it's open Wednesday through Sunday, and basically sun up to sundown. Okay, and uh, people either, as you said, they drive by, so mm-hmm. the, the immediate community knows what, yeah. that you might if you're if you're open, they'll stop. Yeah, um, and then are you utilizing Instagram? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so if there's something special going on, we'll post. And then we have um, Front Porch Forum. is kind of like our next door okay. out here. So I'll post on there a lot of times. Um, we're doing a little advertising print ad, too, this year. Uh, there's like a, there's a little local agricultural publication that's food and flowers and that kind of stuff. So we're, we're going to do an ad in that this year. Trying to think that's wonderful. Else. Yeah, that's so simple. Great. People figure it out. Okay, we've been talking about this this farm stand, but the thing that blew my mind, yes, sincerely, is that it is on the honor system mm-hmm. still in the old yeah. fashioned way. Yeah. What, how does that operate? Yeah, we get notes all the time. I just can't believe that you tr- you can trust people. This is wonderful. Like they're like it's so refreshing to see. So yeah. yeah, so we just have I have the QR code for Venmo out there, and we have the old fashioned little cash box you can open. There's always about you know. in cash in there so they can make change. And then there's a notepad. They can write down their email address and what they bought if they want me to invoice them just in case they don't have any form of payment with them. And then some people write checks and leave them in there. Wow. I need to actually get a secure box for the checks because I did have some people this year call oh. like message me right after saying can you go and snag that out of the box because they don't want their personal information yeah yeah, yeah they wow. don't want that account number and that makes sense so yeah. huh. we've not had any we've not had any issues I generally check the stamps like from time to time so I don't let a lot of cash build up out sure. there if, if at most it's you know sixty dollars it's not the end of the world so you'll you'll stock it in the morning with buckets mm-hmm. of flowers mm-hmm. pre-made bouquets mm-hmm. and what are you selling the bouquets for like I just usually 20 okay yeah the wow. mixed market bouquets wow. yeah and then the individual stems vary in price and they can out there hand select their mm-hmm. varieties and mm-hmm. put a bit what with a, put a rubber band around yep or? we have little paper sleeves out there for them rubber bands um if a lot of times we'll take our extra empty like spaghetti jars and then we have a little water thing in case they're in the car and they're going to uh-huh. need to go uh-huh. dry for a bit so we try to keep some resources out there for that but why do you think that has worked so well? Is it because you're not, I mean, this Virgin is a city that, mm-hmm. or a, a town that's maybe got a grocery store, but, yeah. but you're a little bit removed from that, right? Yeah. We do have quite a bit of traffic on our road because it takes you to the Crown Point Bridge, which is one of the, the few Southern ways to get over to New York State. Oh. And we have a lot of commuters that commute from New York State into Collins Aerospace, which is like a Raytheon okay. business. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do have decent traffic from that standpoint. And then we're also near Basin Harbor Club, which is a summer resort that's seasonal so that's a lot of fun too and we get a lot of kind of the seasonal um crowd going to and from basin harbor well when you talked about basin harbor club being a big channel for outlet for mm-hmm. your flowers i was sitting there thinking yesterday what what water bot what body yeah. of water are you talking about but yeah. it's lake champlain yeah which yeah. is got a harbor yes okay yeah. so it's very cool it's a big lake mm-hmm. and people do boating and yes okay yeah um that's brilliant. So is that mostly vacationers or mostly locals? Mostly vacationers, okay. although they do have a membership there for locals. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a golf course. Okay. So I would say there's more 
local traffic on the golf course than there is the overall membership. Yeah. But yeah, there's, I, it's, it's a really cool place because it's been there for over a hundred years and they have regular families that come year after year after year. And so there's a lot of like fun family celebrations, people that grow up going there, get married there. So it's a really neat, unique place. And they all need flowers. They do like flowers. Yeah. So, so what are you doing with the, that menu then? Are you doing arrangements for them? Yes. So I do three arrangements in the lobby each week and actually I change them out twice during the week. Wow. Um, yeah. The main entryway, the dining room, and then there's like a little sitting area with a bar area that I do another arrangement. And then they also have it set up to where when a guest books their room, there's a pop-up where they can add flowers. So there's two different sizes. So oh, I wouldn't you want every hotel to do that? Yeah, yeah. How did that come about? Just becoming a, having a relationship with the venue mm-hmm. or? Yeah. When, you know, it's such a small community. And uh, when we moved here, our realtor had told us about Basin Harbor Club. So we were excited to check it out. When we went there, we didn't know, but it was right before the season opened and everything's always open. So we were just like walking around and we ended up running into um, one of the owner's daughter, Sarah, who was like around my age. And so she showed us around and we signed up for the membership that year because we thought it'd be a great way to meet people. And yeah, we just kind of hit it off and connected. We went to some of the early mixers and just over time, um, we've stayed friends with them and her mom, Penny, is one of the owners. And so, yeah, we just kind of became fast friends. And then they eventually, they used to actually have their own garden on site and they used to have an on-site florist years oh, ago, yeah. but over time. Where that came from. Yeah. Just the interest in having mm-hmm. flowers is yeah. had to have been there. Yes. So they had someone doing it previously. And then whatever happened with that, that person, they were looking for someone new. And then um, Sarah had reached out to me a couple years ago, actually it was right before COVID, just asking if there were, if I had any other ideas of how we could work together. And so we kind of thought up some different things and that's how the room addition came on. Oh, I love it. And then they'll, they'll also reach out a lot of times because they have so many family events. Last year it was, uh, you know, grandma's 90th birthday and they wanted to do a special dinner. And so, you know, 30 people and centerpieces for that. And then there was a, an anniversary dinner, which was another big one. So those are fun because they're small enough events, but they're not stressful. They're manageable and they're very convenient. And then they're very meaningful too. Well, so. you, yeah, it's interesting. It really kind of um, makes me wonder what comes first, the farming or the floral design, because yeah, you, you're excited yeah. about both of them. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's where I'm really at right now, trying to figure out what, what piece to, to kind of focus more forward on because I have an art background and that's all another reason why I was drawn to flowers. And I do really love the design mm-hmm. part of it, mm-hmm. but it can be really hard for me to transition. My personality is one of those that's really task driven and focused. So on days, whenever I have to do whatever farming tasks and then switch over to design, sometimes I struggle with feeling that creativity yeah. or just not wanting to shift gears because I have this other pressure. Yeah. So that part is really hard. And um, I go back and forth, but I still love both pieces. And so. your designs are unique because they are the flowers you grow. Yes. So yeah. in a way, if you gave that up, you mm-hmm. lose that differentiation. Yeah, yeah. That's, and that's what I talked to my husband about. He's like, well, would you want to stop growing? Would you just want to do design? I'm like, no, I can't because I just, I, I need to have my hands on. Yeah, it's your credibility. It's that different connection to yeah. it too. And there are so many great other local farms. I could still source local flowers. Yeah. But I think I'm now just also addicted to the convenience of it. And it's part of my process. Like if I have, if I know I have this arrangement that I'm going to be doing, that week I'm walking around, I'm looking at things, I'm getting excited, especially if I don't have any specific direction, if it's really just up to me. 
then I can walk around and, you know, kind of create in my mind before right. I actually do it. Right. So I would miss out on that if yeah. I didn't have the farm. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, you talked a little bit about you're going to be building a new cooler or uh, what is your what is your space that you have? So we you have know, our... Because you had that mini greenhouse and you've grown yeah, out from that. Yeah, okay. yeah. So that is still there and it's cute and we're trying to figure out what to do with it. I might move it over by the farm stand for a plant sale space. Perfect. Be really cute. That'd be really perfect. Yeah. Start so, selling plant starts yeah, and that sort of yeah. thing. Mm -hmm. Which we already do. I've started doing because there's just been interest in that. I just usually set them out and I have to drag them back and forth. So it'd be nice to just leave them out there. Oh, great. Um, but we have, we actually have a big heated greenhouse now that we put up. It's a like 30 by 60. Okay. So we have that. We don't have any other plans right now as far as building. We have our walk-in cooler in our barn, which our barn was partially renovated, which we were lucky because it had like updated electrical and wow. level floor and everything. And this Part was, of it is the old dairy barn. Wow. But and this is one of the outbuildings that was on yeah. your wish list. Yeah. 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 So, oh, so, um, so you did install the, the cooler in there when you moved in. Yeah, we okay. did the cool bot, which is like a really easy yeah. to assemble. It's genius. Yes. So we have that. And it so far, we've been able to work with just that. We haven't totally outgrown it because usually we're moving stuff through. We've had some weddings where it was getting a little tight in there that were big with big pieces where we were like cramming everything in there. Sure, to maxing it out. Yeah. And then we actually moved. Previously, I had my design studio in our garage, our two-car garage. But this last year, I moved everything into where the cooler is. So we had to move some tools. You know, I had to push my husband out of half of that, the barn space. But it works great because now we don't have to truck back and forth to the cooler with things, which is really right. annoying. You're just right there. Mm -hmm. So we have our, our vases and everything. And then upstairs in the barn, we can store lanterns and things like that for weddings that we don't use all the time. Wow. So, yeah, it works out really well. So what is your typical week like? Are you um, harvesting earlier in the week and doing design in the, the second part of the week? or Typically, okay. yeah. Yeah, typically we're harvesting like Tuesday, Wednesday. And then we do all of our assembling for the grocery accounts and the CSAs on Wednesday. Then they get delivered on Thursday. And then if we have a wedding that week, it kind of overlaps. Usually we start prepping vases after we've done like field work. And, and if it gets too hot, then we head into the barn and we start prepping, doing any of that stuff that just takes time, like yeah. putting the chicken wire in and taping things up. Um, so that's, yeah, pretty typical. And then uh, if it's a wedding week, it's usually like Thursday, Friday. Sometimes we'll start on Wednesday, depending on yeah. how big it is. And then, you know, Saturday all day load, load out. And then I usually go do the pickup myself on Sunday yeah. if, if we're retrieving. You said you have um, one one person who is going to work with you two days a week mm -hmm. and then one person who's going to work one day a week. Yes. Are they mainly to help with all these events? Yeah, actually, Andrea does both. My helper from last year, she um, she's like the best weeder I've ever met in my life. <laughs> she works so hard and gets out there and like gets those grassroots out. Oh, so she'll do anything. Mm -hmm. And and typically, and on the wedding weeks, she'll work extra if, if I need Got it. it. So yeah. she did it all for me last year. Um, the woman who's going to be coming on, hopefully this year, Jane, actually has some wedding floral design experience. So I'm just going to kind of feel out what yeah. I think I've cut back on weddings this year. So probably it will be more farm work for all of all of us. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to have another design person right. for weddings. When you say you cut back, like roughly how many weddings do you have on the books for 2023? I, think I have seven right now. Okay. Which I did 14 last year. Oh my goodness. Which some of those were smaller too. Sure. Some of those were like, you know, a la carte and semi DIY, but 
I've been getting a lot of inquiries for 2024, but this year has been kind of quiet and I'm okay with that. Yeah. So, sounds like it might be yeah. fine because, mm -hmm. because you had these other on-farm events, which yes. I wanted to yeah. wrap up our conversation mm -hmm. because I want people to learn about how you yeah. structure yours. I actually, Holly Chapel is staying here with yes. me in the yeah. cottage and I told her about what you're doing uh, last night because, and I hope I told her correctly, but it just, I, I said, it's a way to, uh, it's you've structured it so you have predictability mm -hmm. and also capture that revenue. So yeah. I'd love to hear you walk people through how that's set up. Yeah. Evening farm tours. Yep. So they happen from 6 to 8 p.m. And we usually start them in July just because we tend to have more variety at that time. So they go July, August, September. I don't usually schedule any for October just because it's a gamble with our frost dates. Mm -hmm. And we do, we usually plan two a month. Okay. And um, we allow up to 20 people per event just to keep it manageable. And each, the tickets are $75. They, they arrive, they get a bucket, a decent sized bucket, like a normal standard harvest size bucket. And then we take them out into the fields. I give them a tour and I give them some instruction on how to harvest different things. If there's any special tips, like, you know, the way we'll test with zinnias, we teach them all that stuff answer any questions and then we just set them loose with their snips and their buckets and they fill their buckets and then um, they're instructed to come back we put everything into the walk-in cooler so it can kind of hydrate and then we have a whole little space set up on our lawn with like a big dining room table with chairs and then there's um, chairs on our porch and we usually do have wine and and like a sparkling water and that kind of stuff and then we have like a simple charcuterie board with and some little desserts so that we have a local caterer do for oh, us wow. Wow. yeah and then everyone just kind of sits around and chats and it's it's just really fun oh to see goodness. and we've had such a wide range range of like couples husband and wife couples we've had people that are repeat that come back every year younger you know girlfriends coming together yeah, yeah. and it's just really fun. Wow. Yeah. And um, I thought it was brilliant because you can, people have to pre-order. So you're like kind of guaranteed that income Yeah. Um, to prepare for it. Are you growing certain fields just for that uh, DIY no. event? Or they, they pretty much cut from wherever. Yeah. yeah. So I, occasionally there might be something that I'll ask them not to harvest or I'll just let them know it's not ready. Last yeah. year I had the loofah gourds. And so uh -huh. I was like, these have to dry out. So please don't cut anything from the loofah. Yeah, loofah gourds, but, but for you, the most part, I just let them loose. You you have a you have a high tolerance for maybe sloppy cuts. Yeah, there, right? yeah, yeah. I mean, for the most part, there's not anything. By that time, there's not ranunculus. There's not you know, it's like zinnia. So I do instruct them: don't be afraid to cut deep. It's better to yeah. cut deep than to cut something yes. short. Yes. And I you know I do a couple demos usually, and mm -hmm. I haven't had any issues. They're not cutting so much that they're going to like destroy a crop typically. Yeah. And most of the stuff at that time is. Is just going to keep coming on. So, and yeah. maybe these people have already shopped at your farm stand, yeah, or they a lot of them yeah. now will come back to mm -hmm. them because they appreciate what mm -hmm. you're growing. Yeah, we did. I did have. Um, there was this cute husband and wife that came to one of the first ones, and they were just so excited. They're like, "We're going to tell everyone we know." They actually live in South Burlington. And then they they just showed up one day with her parents, I think, were visiting in town. And I don't remember if the farm stand was even open, so they came to the house. And oh. so I just, like, let them go into the cooler and shop. They were just so excited to yeah. bring them and show them. And they were so kind of pre-vetted. So yeah, okay. exactly. Oh yeah, I was, like, happy to see them again. So. Do you think that you'll expand to other types of on-farm events? Or Yeah, I think so. We actually booked a bridal shower out of one of the farm tours last year. Because every time people are there, they start asking. And so I'm definitely totally open to any, any events like that, bridal showers, birthday parties. We need to kind of figure out how we want to structure it and market it more. 
Some of it is right now we have control over the weekends because I basically set the calendar before I start booking weddings of these are the farm tour dates. And then I can say, all right, maybe I'll take this wedding. I can still handle the farm tour that evening. So that's kind of how it's built right now. So that's the only sort of unknown with taking on other events because they can book at any time. And then it's like, okay, do I really have the resources right now to do this this weekend? Yeah. So, and that's another reason why maybe not doing weddings, at least full service would be good. If we could build up the farm stuff, then I don't have to worry about that. We can kind of say yes to whatever and not worry about our weekends, but yeah. I mean the romance of having a, a dinner party or a shower they're all outdoors Mm -hmm. right yeah Mm -hmm. and but they can see the potential when they've come yeah enjoy your charcuterie and sip wine and enjoy flowers yeah i'll have to show you some other pictures of the farm because when you see it from the front where the where the stone house is and where the lawn that we set up the little table across our driveway in front of the big red barn it's just this huge flat lawn so it's you could see that you could put a giant canvas tent there you could picture a million different I also want to really, I really want to do an outdoor movie just for the Panton community that's free. And our library has the projector and everything that we can rent, or it might even just be in a lending library uh-huh. and just do that, like do an annual Panton like town movie night I love on it. the lawn. I'll so in alfresco yeah. style. Yeah. Just bring your picnic blanket wow. and maybe have, um, we have a really great ice cream shop in town called Lulu Ice Cream. And she actually ships nationwide too. Get but, her involved. Yeah, bring her and people can buy ice cream. So yeah, oh. it's fun to do that. Oh, I'm so inspired. It, it, it's yeah. truly uh, um, a lifestyle business. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're making flowers integrated into everything you love to do anyway. Yes. And it's, and it's yeah. sharing with your community. Yeah, yeah. I and it's so it. fun to see when the people are there doing the farm tours, it's fun to see their reaction to the flowers and the interest level and the different types of questions you wouldn't even think that you would get, you know? It's so funny how people really dig in and they're really curious. Yeah, and you might've been that person back in the day who who didn't realize how easy it was that flowers can be farmed. Right, or different types of flowers. It's easy to take it for granted when you're looking at the same things day after day that you just sort of assume that everyone knows that's a lisianthus or everyone knows what that is or they, they're going to think that's boring and it's I feel not the same way. way. I feel like I live in such a bubble that yeah. I assume I mean, everyone knows all this stuff. Yeah, they're like, what is that? <laughs> You're spreading joy. I love that. Yeah, it's fun. Um, anything else that I didn't ask you that you want to share? I don't think so. Well, I do want to know about Diddle and Zen. Oh, yeah. Please. Please. <laughs> yes. In fact, my husband asked me yesterday if I talked about the name. You did. Like, yeah, but I, I'm <laughs> waiting to ask. <laughs> so we have Weimaraners. We're addicted to our dogs. And um, the very first Weimaraner that I had was a rescue. And his name was Gatsby. But he had a million nicknames. And so one of his nicknames was Diddle or Diddle Dog. So that's what we called him all the time. And uh, and then our second wine runner that we got when my husband and I were first married was Zenyatta. And she's named after a racehorse. And so when we decided to name the farm, they had both passed on. Oh. And I really wanted to do something that was related to the dogs. And so we just named them after their nicknames. And it's, it's, it's a great name. Yeah. I mean, it just has a lot of playfulness to it. Yeah. So. It feels accessible and not uh-huh. serious. Like yeah, I know exactly. you are farming professionally, but it's yeah. nice to have that whimsy. Exactly. So yeah. what are your current winer honors? Now we have Gunny, or her, her name is Gunrunner. She's also named after a racehorse. And then we have Ghost, whose name is Ghost Sapper after a racehorse. Really? So Gunny and Ghost. Yeah. Oh, wow. Is, yeah. is horse racing another one of your interests? It's one of my husband's. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, he kind of got me into it after we got married, but uh-huh. yeah. 
we definitely got into it. And they have to also be a Breeders' Cup champion oh in order God. to qualify <laughs> for a name. So, yeah. Ghost, rules. Yeah. Ghost was almost Mucho Macho Man, but we got him, and we were like, he's not Mucho Macho he's Man. A ghost. <laughs> he's a ghost. He's <laughs> Yeah, because he's just a big dork. Do they wander around while you're farming, or are they, like, disruptive? Yeah. They, so they have a fenced yard that we keep, you know, for just going out at night and that kind of thing, but they absolutely love being out in the farm. Gunny is a wild hunter. She she was actually raised to be a hunting dog. So she has that. She is my uh, farm and control big time. Like she gets in there and gets the mice and the moles and the rabbits. And um, so they do. They love being outside with us. And for the most part, they can be trusted. They, they know their boundary, that they're not allowed to go to the front of the property. But they definitely have problems. They have to be reminded at the beginning of every season they can't <laughs> walk in the beds anymore. You know, because they get... During the winter, they're just kind of like, it's a free-for-all. <laughs> so it. they get yelled at from time to time. Yeah. But And Ghost always wants to try to lick the, once you do the, the fish fertilizer and stuff, they're always out there trying to lick the soil. And yeah. so there's like certain things that are annoying. Yeah. But, but for the most part, do. yeah, for the most part, they're great. And I love it. And this huge part of land that you're currently not farming, is mm-hmm. it just uh, just picturesque uh, scenery or do you have future plans? Yeah, it's, it, the, the back half of the property kind of starts to slope up to a hill. So I have thought about doing peonies and other perennials up there. Mm-hmm. We certainly could. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also still a lot of flat space that we're not utilizing. You can remember. Um, mm-hmm. We keep it mowed for the most part. And we have had um, some of our neighbors bring their livestock, which honestly we love. So I'll probably see if we can't get another farm to bring animals through again because it just it does such wonders for the grass up there. Um, it has a they're, mix they're of grazing and mm-hmm. then also yeah. creating manure. Fertilizing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it, it's really good. And they, um, we have the sheep that come through and they'll take care of like sort of noxious weeds and things that we have because we have a lot of, um, it's called like cow parsnip. Uh-huh. It looks like a yellow Queen Anne's lace, but right. it'll burn your skin. So they help kind of eat that down um, in the off years. So it's really nice, but it's a mix of sumac. Um, kind of some brush. There's a lot of grapevine. So I do forage on that part of the property. Um, but really, it's just kind of let to go wild. It's the back 40. Yeah, or the exactly. back 20. Yeah. <laughs> My husband loves mowing it, and he's determined to, like, take back certain areas where he's cutting, <laughs> you know, some of this invasive stuff. There's a lot of wild pear trees, too. Yeah. So it's wow. pretty, but we don't do a whole yeah. lot with it. Wow. Well, so, it's been so fun yeah. to, to hear your yes. story. and. Abby, thank you so much yeah. for sharing. We'll, Thanks for having me. We'll get some photos and share them in the show yeah. notes when we post this at slowflowerspodcast.com. And I'll make sure I have all of Abby's social places so you can find and follow her. And uh, I'm just delighted that we got thank to Thank you. Me too. Thanks I'm for being part of Slow Flowers. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having me. so much for joining us today. You can find the replay video of today's interview at slowflowerspodcast.com for episode 609. You'll also enjoy some of the beautiful farm, flower, and event photos that Abby provided so you can learn more about what's so beautiful at Diddle and Zen. When Abby and I recorded our conversation, she knew she had a lot of things planned around Mother's Day and flowers for Mother's Day. She promised to circle back with those details, and here's a little bit about what she's got going on. 
Diddle and Zen is partnering with Matroshka's Bakery to offer a flour and cookie bundle at both the Diddle and Zen Farm Store and at Matroshka's, which is known for its beautiful macarons with incredible flavor combos. Diddle and Zen will also collaborate with Stephanie Grace Ceramics to offer flower arrangements in their beautiful porcelain vases and They have invited Stephanie Brian Photography to the farm to offer mini photo sessions next Saturday, May 13th, which apparently is already sold out. Abby notes as a follow-up, they will have the farm store stocked with lots of grab-and-go bouquets. Simply beautiful. Okay, our next thank you goes to Mayesh, wholesale florist, family-owned since 1978. Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S., And we're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S. Learn more at mayesh.com. And thank you to The Gardener's Workshop, which offers a full curriculum of online education for flower farmers and farmer florists. Online education is more important than ever, and you'll want to check out the course offerings at thegardenersworkshop.com. Thanks so much for joining me today. The Slow Flowers Podcast is a member-supported endeavor, downloaded more than one million times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. If you're new to our weekly show or a long-running podcast, check out all of our resources at slowflowersociety.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of The Slow Flowers Show and The Slow Flowers Podcast. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more slow flowers on the table, one stem, one vase at a time. Thanks so much for joining us today, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.